well, we, in a moment then, we're going to, um, in the next, next stage of our study, if you want, we're going to be um, looking at the, the doctrine of the Sabbath. Uh, how does, yeah, the doctrine of the Sabbath is developed in the New Testament. So last week, we, um, we looked at the, we did a general overview of um, the Sabbath in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And this week, we'll, we'll see, um, as I said, how that develops in the, uh, in the New Testament. But to, before I do that, then let me, I'll, I'll just remind you of some of the introductory things I said last week. So as far as just setting forth, if you want, the, um, the kind of purpose behind our study, our series now at this point, our, or, or this subject in, in the series um, uh, on the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. So, um, as far as what the, the, the question is and what is we are, we are asking ourselves is, is, is really about how the Lord expects us to, how God expects us to worship. So in a moment, I'm going to say the importance of the question is, is one about, about worship, really. Um, and again, as I said over and over again during this series, in light of just so many changes that churches have had to make, we've had to make significant changes or forced on us, imposed on us because of, of the pandemic and trying to maneuver through the pandemic, you start to, to think and rethink and, and ask yourself what's the, what the foundation is for, for truth. And that's the way, that's the way I guess, it, that's the only way a church um, uh, makes it through those sort of um, unexpected changes to its life. That's, that's what it is for the church to, be, to have a firm foundation right through um, whatever storms may come, because we, we, we're the pillar and ground of truth. We uphold the truth. You know, sometimes the tradition might, might seem sweet for a long time, and Christians might, you know, a tradition, a tradition might, um, uh, might hold sway for extended periods. But if it's just purely tradition and it's not founded on the Scriptures, eventually, you know, things will come, um, attacks will come on that sort of thing, and, and it won't stand. Um, it will be exposed, it's a soft underbelly will be exposed because it's not actually um, the, the truth of God's word. And so as far as the, the question though, some of those questions that you see uh, on the slides there are, 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 are get to the heart of what we're thinking through. And so depending on how you answer some of these questions here, uh, then you know, what this Bible study will be doing for you is helping you to process in your mind you know, whether the conclusions you come to are, are, are biblical. So um, is there, according to the Bible, a specific day in the week to be dedicated by Christians to engage in, in worship? Is there a day that the Lord commands us to, to, to worship uh, and to rest from other mundane activities of the week? So is there a day when God says, listen, forsake your, your labor, forsake procreation, um, um, recreation, sorry, and uh, give yourself to, to worship? Um, other thing is, then what is that day? What day do you have in mind when you think of that? Um, or how do you understand the fourth commandment in the Decalogue, right? To keep the Sabbath. Is that, is that binding on Christians today? What's the relevance of that commandment to Christians today? The Bible does say that. Um, and then why do Christians meet on a Sunday? Um, perhaps, I'm sure you've thought of at least, if you're a Christian, you've probably thought of at least one of these questions at some point. And um, yeah, we want to make sure that our answers to those things are, 
a biblical. Um, and so why is the question important, as I said, and so why the series is important? Um, because actually the, there's a, a lot of the Bible speaks about the Sabbath. The Bible gives a lot of time to the Sabbath, and if we love our Bibles, um, if, we, if we love God's Word, we'll love We'll, love, we'll, we'll want to understand what exactly the Bible is talking about and, and why the Bible gives so much attention to the Sabbath and its significance. You know, to, to ignore that question and, and so to ignore large parts of the Bible um, would be reflective of um, an attitude that is willing, an attitude that, you know, that's happy to just ignore parts of, of God's Word and, and and happy to ignore um, what God's God is teaching us at different points, uh, and obviously that's that's not a it's not a helpful or right attitude to have. We need to prize all of God's word, and nothing is more important than knowing our Bibles, as it were. Um, as I said earlier, worship and uh, worship. We, we want to worship God as He tells us to. Nothing is uh, few things are more important than that. Nothing is as crucial for the church as to know that we worship according to how God instructs us. Not as, uh, not, not as we please, not according to our own imagination. And so we want to make sure that the things that we hold to dearly and that we take for granted as being, you know, um, having authority in the church are actually consistent with, with what God has required from the church. Also because the, the, it's a conversation that can cause controversy in the church. Um, and so we want to we want we have to want to find the best way to deal with it because you know the church we, we unite over truth really you know we, we don't want unity at the expense of truth so very so it's very important to to know the truth but very often when there's division in the church over an issue it's actually because we have very often it's because there's misunderstanding on what truth is and we are calling things. Uh, we're dogmatic over things that the scriptures don't require us to be. And so we want to make sure that we understand the truth properly. If at least maybe then we can arrive at, at strengthening the unity of the church. And because the Sabbath actually, and, and you'll see that even further this evening, the, 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 the Sabbath intersects with so many other significant subjects. By the end of the, by the, end of the, of the series then, I would have basically addressed four positions. Positions. And I would have addressed all those four at some level and be suggesting which one I think is closer to, um, I think is closer to uh, the biblical, um, the biblical uh, teaching. Seventh day, Sabbath continues. So is the fourth, the fourth commandment continues to be applicable to Christians today. So there's a, it's a minority position, but there are some um, professing Christians who meet on Saturday. As I say, it's a very extremely minority position. Um, but is that what the Bible teaches? Um, or, or the Sabbath continues, but in a, in a transformed way. So that, for example, the Sabbath, well, the Sabbath is now Sunday. Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. So Christians meet on a Sunday, um, but that Sunday is taking the place of the Old Testament Sabbath. So the, the fourth commandment still continues. It actually continues, but it's just changed so that now, rather than worship on Saturday, worship happens on Sunday. Rather than resting on Saturday, resting happens on Sunday. Um, and 
essentially, it's a, it's a Christianized Sabbath. It's, it's one that is, um, is now, it's, it's Sunday because it celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so on. And so one of the things we'll be asking ourselves as we carry on is whether that's something you can defend from the Bible. Does the Bible um, give us any inclination? Does the, the, the Bible suggest that that's what takes place? For Christians with the fourth commandment. The other one's the Lord's Day, what I've called the Lord's Day position, which basically says, which says that so the Sabbath does not apply to the New, New Testament believer. The fourth commandment doesn't apply, at least not in the same way. Um, the Sabbath is a shadow, finds its reality in Jesus Christ. Um, as far as Christian practice, that gives way to what you call the Lord's Day. It's not a it's not a Christian Sabbath, it's not a replacement of the Sabbath, as it were. It's just the, the new day in the te- New Testament where in, in, in memorial of the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection day, uh, Christians then gather for worship. Um, but that's, and we, we get that from looking at the example, the practice of the New Testament church. And then the last is just one that says Sunday is not, it's just is like any other day. Um, there's no day for particularly when churches should meet. There's no suggestion that churches should meet on a particular day. That's, that's, that's left to, to local churches to decide. So we'll, we'll, as we go on in the series, we'll be examining those positions at different points. And um, as I say, I, I'll, I'll suggest what I think is closer to the biblical, um, the biblical um, teaching. Sorry, there's just a... A discrepancy here. Mary, that's not what you have on your finger, is it? No? Okay, guys, I'm not sure what's happening for you. Um, um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll carry on and just try and multitask here so the guys in the building can see what I'm seeing. But anyhow, um, so looking this evening at the Sabbath in the New Testament, Sabbath in the New Testament, what we're going to do is look at three um, significant portions. I think there's three significant, if you want, sections of the New Testament that um, deal with the subject of the Sabbath. Um, As much as the the New Testament actually speaks of the Sabbath, um, I think it's there's, there's three significant sections. First is the um, is the Gospels. So Jesus Christ's interaction with the Jesus Christ's interaction with the Gospels. Um, so Jesus Christ's interaction with the Sabbath in the Gospels is a first significant one. Second is the um, the Acts, the book of Acts, and what the book of Acts says of the, sorry guys, this should, there you go, okay, sorry about that, um, but Jesus and the Sabbath, so what the gospel say about the Sabbath, the Sabbath in the book of Acts, so there's a few references in Acts, in the book of Acts to the, um, to the Sabbath, and we're going to look at those and, well, generally, what, what, what they basically instruct us about the, the subject of the Sabbath. And then the um, Paul, 
Paul's significant contribution to the um, to the, the Sabbath Sabbath itself. I think those three sections, those three um, portions of instruction on the Sabbath in the New Testament, probably cover the the, the heart of at least the direct teaching on the Sabbath. There's obviously other um, there's other other teachings in the New Testament that have uh, th- th- yeah that you have to bear in mind when you try and understand the doctrine of the Sabbath in the in the Bible. But these yeah these probably form the heart of the New Testament's uh, teaching and direct teaching on the Sabbath. So we'll cover those and again hopefully what that will do is then advance our biblical understanding of the Sabbath and um, help us to come closer to a, a biblical conclusion on on what, how to understand the Sabbath in the New Testament. So, um, first looking at Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and what um, Jesus Christ's interaction with the subject of the Sabbath in the Gospels, and what we're to understand about that. Now, in particular, we're going to focus on uh, Matthew chapter 12, which I read earlier. Uh, but I will say at this point that, so you can see from the biblical references, there's quite a significant number of um, references to the, um, the Sabbath in the Gospels. There's multiple references, and, to, and, and, and actually to references to, to situations where the Sabbath is playing a significant role. It's a significant cause of whatever's happening in that, in that portion of the Scriptures. Um, so, so, so multiple references to the, to the Sabbath. In the Gospels, they are they're, they're encounters that the Lord has on the Sabbath day, uh, encounters that our Lord has with the Jewish leaders, um, which then um, lead to kind of helpful comment, commentary on how to understand the Sabbath. Um, and so there's different ones, there's multiple references there, but just even focusing on the one we'll, do, we'll, we'll all do shortly, there are some general conclusions we can come to. Um, as I've said here, generally they involve situations um, where Christ's ministry comes into conflict with the opinions of the, the Jewish leaders and, their, and how they understand the Sabbath. So generally, at least the, the, the references I have here, I've shown you there, the major references to the Sabbath, that, that's a general over, overview of, 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 I think, all those encounters, what they reveal. They're always, um, when you take all the Sabbath encounters into, um, in, in totality, they always present these um, opportunities for us to see that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ took advantage of these moments to show that he was greater than the law and that, uh, you know, um, the only way to be obedient to God's law now is to be obedient to Christ and whatever he's, he's doing. Um, and so, as I've written there, Lord of the Sabbath, in, in Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew 12, we see an example of this. So Matthew 12 verse 8 ends with Jesus Christ saying that the Son of Man is, is Lord of the Sabbath. Now again, as I've said, there's multiple occasions like this where Jesus Christ is, um, where Jesus Christ is, is interacting with the leaders of the day um, and, and, and tells us that at one point on a Sabbath day, so Matthew 12 verse 1, and um, Matthew is very specific about the fact that this happens on the Sabbath, so this is something that took place on the Sabbath, uh, but for this, it, it, this is not just 
a timestamp. This is Matthew showing us that actually something's about to happen that will that should transform our understanding of the Sabbath or affect our understanding of the Sabbath. Now, on this Sabbath day, um, Jesus Christ with his disciples are found uh, plucking heads of grain um, on someone's farm or something. Um, and the Pharisees suggest that this is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, what's important to, to, to understand is that um, at this point in, in, in Jewish history, for example, in Jewish history perhaps, a lot of the regulations that are being, that, that are being um, uh, laid upon the people are not necessarily from the Bible, if you want. So a lot of the regulations for, this, for the Sabbath, for example, come from the traditions that the people had, almost like commentary. So the, the Jewish people at this point have a long tradition of commentaries or teachings on the Sabbath. So, so not just, the, not just the, the, the Torah, not just the, the Bible, not just the Old Testament. It's commentaries on the Old Testament because basically... Although the, the Bible, the principle of the Sabbath was very clear, very often the application was not so clear. You know, so you were to rest from mundane work, but what counts as work? You know, and you know, is 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 is, uh, is traveling work, or is uh, you know, or is going to the doctor? Is that violation of the Sabbath? You know, is that not resting? And so, so many things. You know, and should. Should, should physicians keep on working because people get sick on the Sabbath as well. So over, the, over time, you know, there's a lot of conversation happening in, in scholarly circles. And what you have when Christ arrives on the scene is when it comes to how you understand the Sabbath, most of it, most of the information is not coming from actually God's word. It's coming from a lot of the traditions of, the, of, of Jewish scholars, if you want, and the scribes. And so that's why... For example, here and probably in every single, um, every single occasion, every single situation that we read of Christ um, coming into conflict with the with the Jewish with the Jewish leaders, it's not actually evident that Jesus Christ is is violating the, the Sabbath. You know, so in other in other parts of of um, the Gospels, very often, in fact, later on in chapter twelve as well. The reason for disagreement is that Jesus Christ is healing, you know, healing people. Later on in Matthew 12, he heals a lame man, a man with a withered hand. Another point in, 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 the, in John's gospel, for example, it's the, you know, there's healing of a blind man and so on and so forth. And it's a lot of, it's a, it's, it's a lot of these, that's a lot of what brings Christ into conflict with the, with the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. Here it's, the, it's, the, it's his disciples choosing to eat you know, eat from someone's farm on the, on the Sabbath. But actually, it's not obvious that any of these things are violations of the Sabbath. That, that's to say, you can't necessarily go to the Old Testament and see that what Jesus Christ has done here is he's broken, um, he's broken a, a Sabbath law. Um, so so that has to, we have to bear that in mind. It's not like, it's not like these... These, these passages just tell us that Jesus Christ ignored the commandment. In fact, that's very unlikely because Christ came to fulfill the law. And part of what that meant was he, he, he kept the law, you know, in ways that we don't have to keep it, by the way. So even if Jesus Christ, for example, um, kept the Sabbath holy, which he did, 
It, it wouldn't follow that we have to keep the Sabbath holy. You know, any more than Jesus Christ um, going to the temple would mean that we have to go to the temple. Um, so he's not violating the Sabbath laws. What he's doing is he is violating the commandments of men, right? And that's exactly what's happening in, in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus Christ is violating, he, he's, he's breaking the laws of men because, first of all, God's truth, God's law is greater than what men say about it. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So here's one who comes who can speak authoritatively to the law of God. So you read in, in um, so Matthew 12, for example, they say to Jesus Christ, you, you know, your, your, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And essentially Christ is going to say to them, how can my disciples be breaking the Sabbath when the Lord of the Sabbath is here? Like, do you think if, if anyone was to know what a violation of the Sabbath is, it would be me. The Sabbath was made for me. You know, um, so Christ, for example, he takes their attention to the word of God. He uses, he uses examples from the Old Testament, showing that essentially they've misunderstood the Sabbath. Um, he, he, he highlights the example of David, who, who was happy to eat the, the, the holy bread, the show bread in, in the temple um, that was for... That was, not, that was meant only for priests because David knew he was the anointed one. And so that um, he, he knew that there were, if you want, exceptions to the rule. But Jesus Christ is greater than David. Uh, so how can you even speak to the anointed one of violating the Sabbath? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, or oh, as he says, the priests, in verse 5, he says, you realize the, uh, the priests continue to work on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day is a day of rest, but actually one of the things that the God's people were called to do on the Sabbath day, they were called to worship. They were called to, um, to, to offer certain sacrifices. So the priests were always working. In, in, in another passage in, in John, Jesus Christ says, my father's always working. Again, he's, he's showing them that they've actually misunderstood what the Sabbath was. There's no such thing as a Sabbath that means that God's, plan stops or God's worship stops. And here is the object of, 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 of worship, Jesus Christ himself, as he says, I'm greater than the temple. Uh, so, so how can you even define what it is for my disciples to, to break the Sabbath when the Lord of the Sabbath is here? And, and Christ also exposes that the Pharisees don't understand, they don't actually understand the purpose of the Sabbath. And, and so they, they they, they, they're not able to see that actually the Sabbath gives way to the greater purposes. Verse 6 of, of mercy, right? For verse 6 and 7 um, of, of, of showing mercy. And the Sabbath was meant uh, to, the Sabbath was always meant to, uh, it's never wrong to reveal the heart of God on the Sabbath. Um, and, and essentially what, what Jesus Christ knows is the Pharisees are opposed not so much to um, they're not really so. They're not, they're not particularly opposed to what the disciples are doing on the Sabbath day. They're really opposed to Jesus Christ um, Himself. They're opposing Christ Himself, and and so in, in all the you take all the uh, these 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 Sabbath confrontations. You take all of them together, and you, you find that what Jesus Christ is saying is that the leaders, at least at that time, they had misunderstood the significance of the Sabbath. 
and, uh, and very often they, 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 they didn't realize that the Sabbath was ultimately about him, Jesus Christ. So, for example, he would heal on the Sabbath day, and, and they saw it as a reason to want to kill him, if you want. Um, and, um, and so Jesus Christ realized they, they didn't understand the full purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was about glorifying him. Um, and if they truly understood who he was and truly understood that the, pur- the purposes of the Sabbath, uh, they wouldn't have confronted him about the Sabbath as they did. And so when, when you look at Christ's interactions with the Sabbath in the Gospels, um, it, by itself, it probably doesn't establish a particular doctrine, but some things we can say, um, they do set the stage for rethinking how we understand the Sabbath. So by the time we read how Jesus Christ interacts with the Sabbath, by the time we hear Christ saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath is about me, you, 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 by the time we, we, we look at Christ's interactions with the, 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 leader, the Jewish leaders, we realize that he's, 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 he's leading, his, leading his disciples towards rethinking how they understand the Sabbath. No longer can they understand the Sabbath in a vacuum. They have to understand it as something that points to Christ, something that's subordinated to the mission of Christ. So even if before, they would never have thought that it was acceptable to do a healing. Well, if Jesus Christ is doing it, then it must be right. Um, And so all of Christ's encounters with the encounters with the, the Jewish leaders on the Sabbath day probably at least allow the, ch- the church to start uh, leaning towards uh, viewing the Sabbath as, as a shadow, which I've put there, and, and actually waiting to see the fullness. Just like the temple, for example, Jesus Christ never quite, um, he never quite, he never quite um, explicitly says that, you know, uh, the temple, they should, the, his disciples should cease from, cease from going to the temple. Um, the, the, the fullness of that and fullness understanding of that comes later on. He prophesies it for sure. But, but whilst Christ is on earth, you know, the Jewish festivals are all upheld. The Jewish festivals are being attended. But he, cons- he con- consistently teaches in such a way that prepares his people to rethink how they um, re- relate to that. I think, that's, I think that's, that's probably the most you can say about what, how, how Christ's interaction with the Sabbath affects how we understand the Sabbath. Is by the time you come to the end of the Gospels, the stage is set to begin to look for how the Sabbath commandment applies to believers in such a way that is going to be radically different from the Old Testament practice of it. Um, but again, that's, that's, that's the most you can probably say uh, about that. So we, you know, we, we have to be very careful. I mean, sometimes people say that because Jesus Christ said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Some folks say that means, you know, the Sabbath was abrogated. I don't think in and of itself, we can just take that one verse and jump to that conclusion. Um, same way, you can't take that one verse and say, because Jesus Christ says I was Lord of the Sabbath, that means the Sabbath continues for his people. Um, again, I think the most you can say is, Christ prepares us to, as I say, rethink the Sabbath and ask ourselves, how does the Sabbath now apply to us in light of who Jesus Christ is? And it's probably going to be radically different from what um, previous people of faith uh, knew and the Old Testament saints knew, for example. Uh, next, next significant section is the, 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 the book of Acts. Again, a number of references, not as many as the Gospels, but a number of references to 
um, to, to the Sabbath. As far as the ones that, the references that actually um, affect us, the references that are relevant to our, our, our topic tonight, I think what you find in the, what you find in the, um, in the book of Acts is, interestingly, that at least when we start the book of Acts, there's still a habit of some Christians, if you want, observing the Sabbath. So Christians are still observing the Sabbath in the book of Acts. So the first church, even though they now believe in Jesus Christ and they're new covenant people, a lot of them are still obeying Sabbath. So let me read a few, I'll just read a few verses to show that. Acts 17, verse 1 to 3. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Um, Acts chapter 18, again, um, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he played with them, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent, tent makers by trade and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So we, 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 we find some form of Sabbath observance ca- carrying on by the Apostle Paul, for example. So that's one of the things that stands out to us actually is the... It, the, the, the Christians in the, in the book of Acts are still, um, if you want, observing Sabbath. So most likely it, is, it continues as part of their Jewishness. They're Jewish, they're Jews. Um, they, they're used to observing the Sabbath, and so they carry on, carry on doing it. That being said, it's, it's never, there's, there's no indication that at all that it becomes an obligation for the church to do that. So there's, there's, there's Christians that are doing it, but every indication is that it was never laid down as a continuous practice for the church. So for example, you don't see, you never see a developed, um, you never see a, a developed uh, teaching of the Sabbath in the book of Acts. So the first church, and, and I've cross-referenced Acts 15, and that's, Acts 15 is, is a passage that tells us about how the early church dealt with how to understand how the law applied to Gentiles. And amongst the things they say for the Gentiles, for example, you never hear them say, keep the Sabbath is one of the things you should do. You know, they, they, tell, they, they, they basically say they don't have to, they're not bound by the law. In particular, they're thinking of circumcision, to be fair. They're not, they're not, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised like the Old Testament Jews had to usually were because Christ has fulfilled the law. Um, the Sabbath does not come up at all as something that should be necessarily continued, for example. Um, this, there's, there's, no, there's no sense that the church, as a, united, as a united people, see the Sabbath as one of God's commandments that they have to follow. So there's no introduction. There no, there's, never seems to be a need to introduce the Gentiles who are coming into the church to this practice of Sabbath. Neither is the indication that the church even set aside the Sabbath as the day for their worship. So I said that the, that the, 
interestingly, we see that some Christians continue to meet in the, to, to continue to observe Sabbath. But what's interesting is also that, is that usually, so the verses I just read to you, for example, the purpose for meeting or the purpose for observing the Sabbath is very often, for example, it's, it's probably missional, it's, it's, eva- it's evangelistic. So Paul is, uh, the passage I read to you, for example, you find Paul observing Sabbath because he wants to find, take the opportunity to teach in the synagogues. Not so much because he thinks it's, not, well, it's, it's not clear that it's because he thinks it's God's law for him to observe. Perhaps also um, telling is the fact that you then have a passage like Acts chapter 20, um, and it's the only passage in the, in, in the book of Acts that does this, but Acts 20, verse 7 to 12, 12 I'm going to read that as well. I'll read that to you. Acts 27 to 12 tells us that actually the closest you come to um, a, a set day for believers meeting, or at least, yeah, maybe the closest we come to, to seeing something like that, a particular day when the believers gather to meet, is, in, is on the first day of the week, not the seventh day. So Acts 27, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech on till midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. When Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, next week or so, we'll, 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 look, a bit, we'll look a little closer at the, uh, the first day of the week uh, paradigm in the New Testament and this introduction of the first day of the week. But just in this passage alone, so Acts 20, verse 7 to 12, it's interesting to note, the emphasis on the first day of the week, which, so the book of Acts is written by Luke, and I, I think we should, we should probably think that, the, that Luke is expecting us to make the connection between the first day of the week, Acts chapter 27, and the, and the resurrection day. So very often in the Gospels, um, you can see in the cross-references there, in, in the Gospels, it's, 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 it's specifically stated that the resurrection happened on the first day of the week, and resurrection appearances first day of the week. Um, so perhaps that's, uh, perhaps Luke is, uh, is expecting us to make that connection, that the first day of the week became, uh, became a, a sort of a, 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 a day for the disciples, to, for, for God's people to meet. Um, also, it was a day where they, got, they gathered together to break bread. So it looks like a church service. Break bread is probably referring to taking the Lord's Supper. So it looks like a church service. Um, so, uh, and the point of that then is, if, for example, the apostles expected Sabbath day observance to carry on, so the fourth commandment to be, to be kept as it was, then it's very interesting that there's, it's, it's the first day of the week where there seems to, be, seems to be the day when they're meeting. And obviously, we, we could go all the way back to Acts chapter 2 and after the day of Pentecost, where, again, as far as the, the church meeting, the Bible just says that they were meeting every single day. Uh, they met daily. Uh, there, there's, no sense that they, there, there's no sense that the church as a body, as, in, in, as a unit, set aside the fourth day uh, to be the day for worship. Uh, so it doesn't seem, there's, there's certainly no, no indication in the book of Acts 
that there, there continues to be Sabbath observance. Um, so a few conclusions from that. Um, so, so the book of Acts will sh- shows the church as it develops its understanding. What that means is we have to be careful. We do have to be careful before we jump to conclusions. So, for example, it'd be a bit, it'd be premature to go to the book of Acts, see that um, Christians were observing Sabbath, that some Jews were observing the Sabbath, and then say, so we should observe the Sabbath. Because you could go to the book of Acts and you would see that some Christians were going to the temple. You can go to the book of Acts and see that Christians were probably observing the, the, Jewish, the other Jewish feasts, or the day of Pentecost, for example. Um, and so it would be premature to do that, because what's happening in the, in the book of Acts is the church is developing its understanding of this. It's, un, it's developing its understanding of the law. Crucial evidence of that, for example, is it's not until chapter 10. Now, I think, remember that the day of Pentecost is Acts chapter 2, when, preacher, when Peter preaches Christ, when Peter sees um, that God has a plan to save not just the Jews, but the whole world, because uh, men of different ethnicities are proclaiming the goodness of, of God in the gift of tongues. And yet, it's not, all the, it's not um, all the way, it's not until all the way in chapter 10 that we see Peter first come to the understanding of, of how, a fuller understanding anyway, of how God intends to make one people of the Jews and, and the Gentiles. Remember, he, he doesn't, he, he still, Peter is still obeying the food laws. You know, when God shows him the vision and says, you know, rise up and eat, and he says, I, I don't eat anything unclean. He's still obeying the Old Testament food laws um, all the way in chapter 10. So the book of Acts is showing us how the church is developing its understanding. But again, that's not to say that the trajectory is not apparent. As I said, I think in the, in the, in the Gospels, the traje- there's a trajectory there that tells us Christ is asking us to rethink how we understand the Sabbath. In the book of Acts, um, there's a trajectory there. So, for example, as, as I said, it's telling that there's no developed practice of Sabbath keeping. That's a trajectory. You know, this new, this new community of believers are being formed, and, you know, variously instructions are given to them about what's vital. Um, many other practices... Old Testament practices, if you want, are carried on. They continue to be instructed. That's an Old Testament practice, just being taught the word. Continue to sing. That's, not, that's a practice. That's an Old Testament practice. They continue to pray together. There's no sign that they continue to keep the Sabbath together. In fact, there's a sign to the contrary because we, we see them meeting on the first day of the week. Um, the, so, so, yeah. So, um, of the, 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 the Gospels, trajectory. There's, there's, there's every indication that the church is continuing to reconsider its traditions in light of the worship of Jesus Christ, right? So the church feels bold enough to have its own day for meeting, if we see them meeting on the first day of the week. Because why? Because they're understanding that the, the laws, the law, they're, not, they're no longer under the law. And increasingly, they're understanding their relationship to the Lord. Their relationship to the Lord now is, 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 is transformed in Jesus Christ. They can no longer just obey the law in and of itself. They have to obey it in Jesus. They have to see it as it's fulfilled in Jesus. They have to see it as Jesus Christ fulfills it. And, and the book of Acts shows the church heading in that trajectory. Um, it has to be said, 
at this point, and we'll look at this a bit more next week, but the, the evidence for a transfer, though, of the Christian Sabbath to Sunday is, as I've written here, problematically absent, okay? Um, th- that was probably one of the things that um, started to make me rethink my understanding of the Sabbath, is when uh, a, a sister approached me and said to me, and I'd been teaching a, a different, I'd been teaching a view of the Christian Sabbath for a long time, but it was random. It was someone who had, is a sister in the church who I had taught, who had, had taught that a number of times. And she asked me this just genuinely as well. I don't think she even meant to, she didn't mean to contradict me or anything, but she asked me, um, if someone asked me what the evidence was for the Sabbath being transferred to Sunday, you know, like where the apostles transfer, what would you, what would I, what would I say? What would I go to? And so I was, I was beginning to actually explain, you know, the way I would have explained it previously, to break down the way you could defend that, show that from the New Testament, that there was a transfer. By the time I finished, I don't know if it was her face or if it was just me actually thinking through what I was saying, I realized it was, it was a lot of leaps. I was having to make a lot of, you know, just a lot of gymnastics here and there to, to make things connect. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't obvious. Um, Hardly obvious, right, that the, it's hardly obvious that the New Testament, the, that the apostles considered the first day of the week as the new Sabbath, if there's one reference to it in the book of Acts. And then certainly never a reference, there's not one reference in the New Testament that explicitly commands believers to do that. You know, very often, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself here because we're going to do this in a few weeks, but um, yeah, next week or so, but very often people point to the Hebrews um, the, the, the Hebrews 10 passage about believers gathering together and say that's, but actually when the writer of the Hebrews tells these Christians to make sure they gather regularly, he doesn't mention the first day of the week. Surely that would have been the perfect time for him to say, you know, don't neglect the gathering of the saints on the first day of every week. Don't, you know, and so, um, as I say, as far as the Sabbath being transferred, the reason why it's especially problematic is because perhaps if there was anywhere in the New Testament you might have expected to see that, it would be the, the book of Acts. The same way the book of Acts is, is, is one place where we see heavily developed um, the, the fact that Christians are no longer under the, the food laws, for example. There's one place you might have expected to see that, it would be the book of Acts, but you don't see that whatsoever. So that's a summary of... Um, the book of Acts. So we'll look now just at Paul, Paul a little briefly because Paul is going to command our time for in, an, in the next weeks or so. I should say that the point I'm making, the, the point I'm making from those two overviews now is we have to be very. The point I would make is we have to be very careful, right, before we come to conclusions from the information we have in both those sections, in both those portions of Scripture. Very often people come to broad, big conclusions about the Sabbath from things they read, from their reading in the book of, in the Gospels by itself. And, and, and it's, very unlikely, it's very unlikely that the, the, the Gospels by themselves can bear the weight of the conclusions we'd like to, to run to. So I don't think it's as easy to, to prove just from the Gospels alone, say, say from the Gospels alone, that the fourth commandment is not applicable to Christians today. The Gospels don't answer that question directly, even though, as I've suggested, indirectly, there's this strong implication in the trajectory in which they're wanting to head. And the same way as I've just been showing to you, it's very unlikely that you can go to the book of Acts and then show 
convincingly that the Sabbath became the Lord's day because you, you have a passage in Acts 16. When we do that, we, we weaken the nature of, of, um, of biblical arguments and how we defend truth from Scripture. So we just have to be very careful there. Um, the last step is, is Paul and the Sabbath. Now, those passages, you know them quite well. Let me read. And, 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 and so Paul's contributions to the subject of the Sabbath, uh, so those verses are some of the, yeah, clearly some of the most significant, some of the most direct we read in the, in the New Testament. Aside from, 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 from our Lord Jesus Christ, I think Paul speaks most directly to the, to the Sabbath issue. Um, and those, those, those verses you see up there, um, Galatians 4 verse now let me read Romans 14, 5 and 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Um, Galatians 4. Um, let me read from verse 8, verse 8 to 11, Galatians 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And Colossians 2, verse 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, so those passages, I say, as I say, are some of the most direct teachings that we have on the, uh, on the subject of the Sabbath. Now, broadly, for the Apostle Paul, right, they're not just kind of particular, so it's not like our Lord Jesus Christ who is engaging folks who are um, engaging the Pharisees on the Sabbath day and, you know, it's, 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 Paul is sometimes addressing this just in the wider context of how he understands how the law applies to the new covenant believer. So take, for example, um, Colossians 2 I just read. Um, Paul is dealing with a heresy in a church where folks were suggesting that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you had to obey certain laws. This is how Paul understands the new covenant. It's the same thing he does with circumcision in the book of Philippians, right? So in the book of Philippians, Paul says, Paul says, no, you don't have to be circumcised. To be. Circumcision does you nothing because Paul is saying, listen, salvation is in, is in Christ by grace alone, by faith, uh, through faith alone, um, so you don't, you don't have to do anything to earn the righteousness of God. And he doesn't want, um, he doesn't want these, these, these believers, these new believers, to, to think that they can justify themselves before God through the works they do. There's nothing you do that can make you a Christian. You're just, it's, it's faith in Christ alone. Uh, and so in Colossians 2.16, for example, that's, that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. Paul is saying, Paul is dealing probably with a heresy where people are saying, okay, you're, you're saying you're a Christian, 
You're saying you believe in, you say, you're saying that you, you're, you're a follower of God, but how come you don't keep this day, right? How come you don't keep Passover? How come you don't keep um, the Feast of Tabernacles? How come you guys don't, how come you guys don't keep a, a Sabbath? You know, so on and so on. And Paul says, no one can judge you about that. It, those things no longer make you part of the covenant, in the covenant community. In the new covenant, all that counts is a faith in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ. None of these things, as Paul says, they're a shadow of things to come. So it's, it's Paul's understanding, overall understanding of how, Jesus, of the relationship between Christ and the law. For Paul, the law is fulfilled in Christ, and all those who then are in Christ have fulfilled the law, so that the law no longer lays any obligation on them. Not even the Sabbath does, right? In and of itself, because the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Um, similar thing in, in, in Galatians, when Paul says, He's looking at a church that he's worried is now attempting to justify itself by the works of the law. And he says in in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years of Galatians 4. Um, Basically, you've added all these things to your Christianity saying, um, for us to be Christians, we also have to observe this day. But that's that's not that's that might have been true for the and it was true for the Jews and this is this is where we have to be very careful with with Paul's argument because it was true for the Jews right that part of their religion part of the Old Testament religion required them to observe certain days but here Paul is saying for the Christian there's no mandatory days again it'd be strange if Paul thought that the Sabbath applied for Christians today but still made a statement like that. If Paul thought there were days that, the, that Christians had to, like the Sabbath was mandatory, then it, it's strange that Paul says the very idea that you're making days and seasons and the observance of days mandatory is evidence that you are going back from a pure faith in Christ. Um, interestingly, though, in Romans 14, Paul, Paul he, 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 um, he grounds this also in the idea of Christian liberty, right, in Romans 14, so that Paul gives us a a different perspective of thinking about the observance of days. And essentially, in Romans 14, Paul shows us, although no Christian is obligated to observe a day, so you can't, you, you, you don't earn righteousness by observing a certain day, there's no command for a Christian to observe a particular day in a certain way, and so the Old Testament feasts don't apply to Christians today. Christians are still at liberty to make to decide that one day is going to be sacred for them. There's still, there's still an area where you can do that. You can have liberty for that. So Romans 14, Paul says, listen, one esteems one day, 14.5, as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Be convinced in your own mind. In, in Pauline theology, what Paul is probably saying is, as long as you're not treating this as the source of your justification, as long as you're not saying this makes me right with God, then it's up to you what you do, you know, how you decide to treat a particular day. You might say, I want to make this particular day sacred for myself. I want to, you know, you can do that. It's the same thing with circumcision. So Paul, Paul has the same, when Paul says, you know, circumcision is nothing, 
he doesn't, he, 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 he's not necessarily saying that it's a sin in and of itself for someone to get circumcised. If you want to get circumcised, that's, your, that's, your, that's fine. That's, as long as you know that getting circumcised now has nothing to do with you being right with God. It's, it's a practice that you might choose to, 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 to have or whatever, but it has nothing to do with righteousness. It has nothing to do with being, the only way to be right with God is Jesus Christ. And so Paul introduces, Paul basically says this, and when it comes to how we understand the Sabbath now in the New Covenant, or a day where you set aside for worship or whatever, um, that's an issue of, of Christian liberty. Um, and, and, and how a Christian in his own conscience, in his own mind, or her own mind, decides to um, utilize a day and set, aside, set it aside for um, the worship of God. All in all, I think the, the plainest reading of Paul would indicate as I've written here, that the new covenant abrogates the practice of the Sabbath. That's, that's the, the, the plainest reading. And again, um, next week or so, we'll look at the objections to that. But if you were just to read those verses in and of itself, the easiest conclusion to come to would be that Paul is saying the Sabbath does not apply to the New Testament believer the way it did in the Old Testament, right? All the, those verses would suggest there's no such thing as a fourth in one sense, anyhow, there's no such thing as obedience to the fourth commandment for the Christian, or there's no such thing as a Sabbath day practice for the Christian. Um, in which case, so, so, so just a straightforward reading of these verses would indicate that the seventh day um, Sabbath practice is wrong, because Paul says, Paul, Paul basically says, none of, the, none of the Old Testament ceremonial days, none of the, the, the Old Testament um, festival days apply to the Christian today. Passover, Feast of Weeks, the Sabbath. And also, um, it probably means that Paul is saying a Christian Sabbath day, so, so, so a, a position that treats the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath. Again, the simplest reading of this would probably indicate that that was a wrong position to take as well. To say, actually, no, the Sabbath has changed to the, the, the first day of the week, and now the first day of the week is the day when Christians... Because Paul basically says, no, it's, it's an, when it comes to treating days like that, that's an issue of liberty. When it comes to making one day sacred, it's an issue of liberty, actually. It's not an issue of uh, something that's binding on a believer's conscience. Uh, that's, that's, I think, that's the, that would be the, the obvious reading of Paul's word in those verses. Um, but we'll, we'll come to see next week, anyhow, how, how folks attempt to respond to how, how, how folks read Paul differently to come to different conclusions. So let me, let me close them by making just conclusions from the, um, the, 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 the New Testament teaching on the Sabbath. So the, the, the trajectory that the New Testament follows as far as the, the, the Sabbath is, is concerned. So based on the foundations of the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament principle of Sabbath keeping, uh, I think certain things then come to uh, come to mind in, in the New Testament. Um, one is that the clearly the Sabbath brings to the fore how we understand the Christian's relationship to the law. So very often in the New Testament, at least certainly in the Gospels, and also in the book of uh, in Paul's writings, the, the Sabbath issue is an issue that comes under the umbrella of the Christian's relationship to the law. Over and over again, we see that. How a Christian understands his relationship to the law 
is how he's going to understand um, um, how he's going to understand what the Sabbath means for him or her today. Um, and so, depending your 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 standpoint on the issue of the Sabbath is probably going to be reflective of what you think has happened between Old and New Testament. What happens when Jesus Christ comes into the world and is then and and is the and he's the temple of God. He's the temple of God fulfilled. He's the law of God fulfilled, uh, and he's the greater than Moses. And he fulfills the law. What happens when that happens? What what happens when Christ comes and he brings his new covenant and the old covenant um, fritters away, as it were? What happens when that happens? How, how do you understand the relationship there? And that's 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 going to come to light um, in 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 your position on the Sabbath. Um, and that's a crucial question because it applies to, to so many other things. It applies to how we understand so many other injunctions of the Old Testament and how they apply to us today. Um, another thing, though, is when all is said and done. So, so it's, it's one thing to, to think about. It's one thing to think about how I understand the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament, and so on. What is clear teaching, though, from the New Testament is that we must reject any attempt to build righteousness from the observance of the law. Any attempt to do that. Um, our righteousness comes from Christ alone, and we must, we must resist um, any, any attempt to do, to do that. Um, it's, it's very important that Christians don't ever insinuate that there's some act of the law that makes them right with God, that there's some observance of the law. Whether it's the, 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 the laws about the days of, uh, and the uh, the feasts of Israel, whether it's laws about of, about the about food, you know, unclean and clean and, and unclean meat, none of these things make us right with God. It's it's faith in Christ alone, and so we must reject any righteousness that comes from the law. So, and the same thing then with when we think of of the Sabbath. Um, I think maybe not so much with the Christian Sabbath position. But certainly with the Seventh-day um, Sabbath position, especially as seen with Seventh-day Adventists, um, it's, it, it can often, well, historically anyhow, it certainly led to, to legalism. And his, the historic teaching of Seventh-day Adventism is, is very problematically legalistic at points. Um, so... Um, obviously, going all the way back to like to the founders of Seventh Day Adventism, but um, someone like Ellen G. White, who is one of the founding prophetesses of Seventh Day Adventists, was extremely legalistic in so much of her teaching um, and so much of the doctrine. And, and some of the major teachings of Seventh Day Adventism today continues to be legalistic. Um, and we must reject any suggestion, any suggestion that is a righteousness that we can get from the law. We must reject that. Our righteousness comes through what Christ has done through His own fulfillment of the law. Um, and lastly, um, that, that actually very often the, the, the treatment of the Sabbath is a reminder that Jesus Christ is all-sufficient. Um, so Christ says, I, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. His disciples could not be deficient in any way when he was present. You know, the, the Pharisees had some nerve, if you want, to question whether they were doing what was lawful when they were with Jesus Christ. Um, and so it's possible that what, what we see in the New Testament is the, the so, so think of how foundational the Sabbath was to 
the worship life of the Old Testament believers. It's a foundational aspect of their, of their, of their, of their worship, of their piety. You know, the Sabbath was, according to the Old Testament, the Sabbath was actually the sign of God's covenant with them. So if you want breaking or ridding yourself of the, cover, of the Sabbath would be like saying that we should rid ourselves of, of a covenant with God. But when Christ comes on the scene, the New Testament believers are very happy to, to do away with the practice of the Old Testament Sabbath. Why? Because they know that they're complete in Jesus Christ. And all the things, I remember I was saying last week about, about some of the things that the Sabbath, the effect that the Sabbath had on the Old Testament believers and, and how that affects us today. So the Sabbath taught them about creation and taught them about redemption and taught them to delight in the Lord and taught them to obey the Lord and so on and so forth. All those things we find in Jesus Christ. Right, um, all the things that the Old Testament Sabbath could have done for, would have done for the Old Testament believers. All those things um, we can find in Christ, and more, as I've said. So, if, if Sabbath was about law keeping, obeying God's law, in Jesus Christ, we have a greater calling to obedience. We have, uh, we have, we have a greater law of God to keep. Jesus Christ says the righteousness of the the new covenant believer must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, exceed the righteousness that comes from the law. Uh, if it's the light, right? If, if God wanted the, 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 um, the, the Old Testament saints to set a day aside so they could enlighten him, well, we have even more as we see God through the face of Jesus Christ, even more delight in him. If it's, uh, um, if it was that the, uh, the Sabbath day was, was a day that was to be dedicated to doing good works and so on and so forth. Well, in Christ, uh, the believer is meant to be full of good works and full of good deeds. And so uh, if, if there's anything that the transition between Old Testament and New Testament teaches us when it comes to the Sabbath is how much Christ is just a fulfillment of the law and how he is all sufficient um, and how Christ can be everything to us and um, in no way is the believer defective. We're not defective, for example, because we don't have temples. You know, we no longer go to temples like the old. No, we have, a, we have something greater than the temple. We're, no more def- we're certainly no more defective because we don't have sacrifices, right? Or we don't make sacrifices, but we don't. No, we have, we have something greater than the Old Testament sacrifices in the blood of Jesus Christ and his intercessory work. We, have a, we don't need priests anymore. We have a greater priest, you know, and so on and so forth. And you might say, um, uh, and this is probably prem- it's premature, I have, but we don't need a Sabbath anymore because we have um, the, the one who provides a greater rest. And it's, uh, I should close by saying this. It's, it's instructive that in Matthew 12, which I read earlier on, which, which, um, which presents for us a Sabbath, Sabbath controversy where Jesus Christ has to defend his, his, uh, his, his practice of the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, just before Matthew 12, though, and that's why I read from chapter 11, we find Jesus Christ almost speaking in Sabbath language. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest, right? So that's what happens in Matthew 11. Christ, he, he declares that statement, and then we read the controversy of the Sabbath. Perhaps that juxtaposition is meant to show us that the, the Christian has a greater rest than the Sabbath could ever provide. Maybe that juxtaposition was meant to show the Pharisees. You're all worried about the rest you can have on the Sabbath day by not doing every little um, every little pedantic thing that you have imbibed from your own uh, earthly traditions, but there's no, no such thing as rest if it's not in Jesus Christ. 
You can, you can rest from as many activities you want on your Sabbath, but if you're not resting in Christ, you have no rest at all. But those who come to me, those who are heaven laden and come to me, they have a greater rest than any day in the week could ever provide. In fact, then the Sabbath is pointing to the true rest giver. And maybe that's the development in thinking, in understanding, and in the relationship between Christ and the law that then leads the New Testament uh, and the New Testament church to, to, to make the changes it does to the um, uh, practice of sub- Sabbath keeping. So, yeah.